So this morning, as you've already seen, we, we begin a season of Advent. Advent is, is an arrival. It's an expectation that comes. And, and certainly we're leading toward the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and we take each week and we focus on one aspect of that. Today is the, the arrival of hope. So we'll be looking at two passages. We'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 9 that was already read this morning. And then we'll go to Matthew chapter 1 and read the rest of our verses there. As I considered this, I considered the, the expectations and the, the changing expectations of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. If you recall, they went through a series of, of difficulties and oppression and slavery and just one thing after another. And they would get into a bad situation. They would cry out to God. God would deliver them. They would disobey, go do their own thing, find themselves in a bad situation, call out to God. And you see the cycle again and again and again. And they had a a hope. They had an expectation that there would be someone to come to help them. So I was looking, changes of expectation. When I was a child, I thought I would burst on Christmas Eve. I don't know how it would be possible to make it to the morning. And it was impossible to go to sleep. But I knew that if somehow I could shut my eyes... And, and find myself asleep that I would be magically transported through space and time that when I opened them again, I would be by the tree at 5 a.m. waiting for everyone else. My sister and I both would do that. So I had an expectation and I had a joyous time. Jump ahead 15 years and I had an expectation of a long winter's nap. It wasn't so important to get up at 5 a.m. and stand by that tree. I enjoyed being with family, and I enjoyed my sleep and perhaps a late breakfast before exchanging gifts. Jump ahead again to parents with children. Put them to bed. We stay up late doing what we need to do. We get up early, turn on the lights, get the fire ready, and we wait and wait. We get up, go fix coffee turn on some music a little louder and we wait and we wait and then we go wake the kids up say come on it's christmas come on be excited and then we would have christmas together but there were changing expectations over our lives god's people had expectations for a messiah they hoped for a king to free them from oppression to establish them and to rule over their enemies. Isaiah came along and and he prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to read just two verses here, 9 verses 6 and 7. And just listen, if you put yourself in the perspective of the Jewish people who are just constantly under oppression, if they could hear these words. So Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. So the prophet Isaiah declared God's promised hope for Israel. There's a dual meaning that is argued within this passage. Was, he, was Isaiah talking about something presently or something in the future? Well, you can look at this, and actually we looked at part of this recently, that at the time of Isaiah's writing, he was dealing with King Ahaz. If you remember, King Ahaz was the king who did evil in the sight of the Lord. King Ahaz grew faithless. King Ahaz set up places throughout the country and the city to worship false idols. This was the role of King Ahaz. He led people away from God. And if we look at that, we remember who came next, that Hezekiah, his son, became king, and he became a type of savior. Because Hezekiah restored the temple. He reconciled the people with God through obedience. And you would stop and think, well, maybe Isaiah was talking about Hezekiah. Because here he is. He he saved them from all that they were going through. And now they're reconciled to God in relationship. However, that hope was short-lived. Because Hezekiah's son came along, Manasseh. He served for 50 years And went the other direction, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the argument that Isaiah was somehow talking about Hezekiah in this prophecy is inaccurate because Hezekiah did not reign forever. His peace did not reign forever. His government did not reign forever. So there must be a greater hope. And that's what we look to today. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. It was written to the Jewish people, but it's a promise of God that applies to all people. The Messiah would come on our behalf for our benefit. He would be unique. The government resting on his shoulder. Now, I had to look it up because I know what government is today. And I'm wondering, how does that even look? How do you set the government, the president, senators, legislators, how do you set that on the shoulder of the Messiah? Well, come to find out the Hebrew word for government does not mean government like we would know it. It means dominion. Therefore, when we look at this, the promised Messiah would be the king who sovereignly ruled over all. Prophecy provided an even greater expectation for his arrival. He's bigger and better than we ever imagined, what the Jewish people would think. He's coming, and he's coming with all power and all authority. He will rescue us from oppression. He will rescue us from darkness, and his rule and his peace will be forevermore. That's something to get excited about, and that's something to be uh, with great expectation for the promise of God that would be coming. 
Isaiah said that he would be called wonderful counselor, ruling in perfect fairness and justice. That he would be called mighty God, which describes his his, uh, divinity and his power. He would be called everlasting father, explaining his eternal nature and describing that all things have come from him. He would be the prince of peace, having authority over salvation and establishing peace with God. And why would he be given? I mean, it began, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Why is that happening? Is it because we are worthy? Is it because we are good? Is it because we've cried out enough that God relented and said, okay, I'm going to do this? And the answer is no. We find out why he did this in the last part of the verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, it wasn't anything that we did to motivate him to do it. It was nothing that we did that would urge him to do it. In fact, what it was was his devotion, his passion, and his desire. That's what caused him to provide a Messiah for our salvation. Again, it's nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. The Messiah will rescue us from eternal darkness. He will forgive us our sins. He will give us eternal life and he will reconcile us to God. That's reason for hope. And that's the promised hope of God in his word. 700 years later, a baby was born in Bethlehem. 700 years. If we could somehow roll back our clocks, 700 years, it would be 450 years before we became a country. It would be about 170 years before Columbus even set foot on this land. That's a long time to be waiting for the promise of God. Some would say a generation is 40 years, but biblically it more points to 100 years. Seven generations waiting for the promise of God. What would you do for 700 years? Talking about it, remembering all the words, studying it. It's coming. He's coming. The hope is coming. And and soon we're, we're going to be delivered from darkness. We'll be delivered from our sins. Soon he's coming. He's coming. And then you die. And your child is saying, he's coming. He's coming. He dies. And his child, he's coming. He's coming. He dies for 700 years waiting for the promise of God. So let's jump to Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The birth was not accompanied by a welcoming party of religious leaders. All the Jews did not anticipate this birth, and they all gathered together in Bethlehem to see this thing that was promised 700 years ago. There was not the pomp and circumstance fitting of a king who was being born. No, you know, we see in Luke chapter 2 that God's angels announced the birth of the Messiah to a few shepherds out in the field. Now, that was an amazing experience in itself, supernatural. God's glory came down and surrounded them and to hear the message that he was born. And they responded appropriately. Our verses begin, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, Matthew's very careful here. This was not just the birth of a baby, not just the birth of a baby named Jesus. This is the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. That word Christ, anytime you see that in the New Testament, if you go to the Old Testament, it is Messiah. That's the same word. So it's saying here, he is the promised one. The promised one has been born. Verse 18 reveals the virgin birth, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 7. And then verse 19 gives us insight into Joseph's character, which, by the way, that's a whole nother study. But just listen to this. Joseph knew the child was not his. When he heard the news, Mary is pregnant, he knew that wasn't him. And he also knew that he had every right to have her publicly shamed and stoned to death. But his character said otherwise. He resolved to divorce her quietly. They were betrothed, which is a commitment, usually about a year before they got married. And they would not have any intimacy during that period of time. An angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream, telling him, don't be afraid to take her as your wife because the the child is from God. For unto us, a son is given. Verse 20, we recognize another fulfilled prophecy. The angel said uh, to, to Joseph, Joseph, son of David. We look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and we see that the genealogy of Joseph goes back to David. However, there's a problem. He's not the father of this child. He's a father figure of the child. So how do we reconcile this? Most conservative theologians would turn to Luke chapter 3, and there's uh, yet another genealogy there in Luke chapter 3, and they believe that that is Mary's genealogy. But further than that, 
History tells us, tradition tells us that a couple would marry within their tribe. So if Joseph was from the tribe of David, so would Mary be. And that takes us back to the prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that that this king, this Messiah would be from the line of David. The first verse of Matthew chapter 2 fulfills another 700-year-old prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that he would be born in Bethlehem. It would seem that if you had all these elements that you knew who he would be, where he would come from, and where he would be born, that you might set up a a group, perhaps a scouting group that would sit in Bethlehem and wait. Even if it is 700 years, you just pass that baton on to the next generation. He's coming and he's coming here. And it's going to be miraculous. And we need to wait because God promised it. And I believe it. The angel then provided a gender reveal and a name reveal to Joseph. See, Mary's going to have a boy, and you will call his name Jesus. Now, that name Jesus is special because it means the Lord is salvation, and he will save his people from their sins. Who can save us from our sins? But God. Again, recognizing the divinity of this child. Scripture says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said 700 years before. His name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This child was given by God, but this child is God in the flesh. And only he can do what God says he can do. And that's to deliver us. Well, did the Jewish people recognize the Messiah when he was born? No. And many still do not today. What is hope? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says it is to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. In other words, it's wishful thinking Wishful thinking based on your desire. Some people hope to make it to heaven. Some people hope it will all work out in the end. Some people hope that when they show up, Jesus will say, I know you, come on in. Can you imagine going to death's door with your fingers crossed, hoping it's going to work out based on your desire? It doesn't work that way. Every time you read the word hope in Scripture, it is never that definition. It's never based on you. It's never based on your desire, and it's not wishful thinking. Always, when you see it, biblical hope is the confident expectation that something will happen because of the faithfulness of God's Word. That's what hope is. Is In other words, it's confidence based on God's faithfulness. Do you see the difference? 
On the one hand, the worldly hope is a hope, a wishful thinking based on my desire. But a biblical hope is an expectation that confidently God will come through because he said it. Big difference. So what we have here was the promise 700 years ago that the Messiah would come. The hope that we have is the expectation confidently because of the faithfulness of God. He's going to come through with his promise because he cannot lie. Therefore, he will do what he said he will do. How faithful is God? If our expectation is based on his faithfulness, how faithful is he? He's eternally faithful. He can't not be faithful. That's his character. So we can rely on his word. We may not know when, we may not know how, we may not know why, but the power of his faithful word alone will cause us to wait expectantly, knowing that he's going to come through. We know it's going to come to pass. We know God promised a Messiah and that he would save his people from the sins. We witnessed the fulfillment of that promise in Matthew chapter 1. Now, here's the thing. You and I did this this morning. We looked in Isaiah chapter 9. We read the promise of God. I will send a Messiah. A child has been born to you. son has been given to you. And then we do this. Huh, there he is. He was born. The birth of Jesus Christ took place. 700 years in a half a second. I just flipped the page. So the promise was made. I turned the page. The promise appeared. I can, I can deal with that. Perhaps the Jewish people grew tired Perhaps they doubted the word of God, causing many of them to reject God's provision when he did show up. And we would say, shame on those Jewish people. Again, we have the the privilege of looking back on history to know what happened. But let me just ask you, have you ever given up hope? Listen, because God has not come through in your time, or answered a prayer the way you thought it ought to be answered? Or something has happened in your life that you don't think is fair? Have you ever given up hope? Has it ever caused you to just pull back and say, you know what? You can have your world. I'll live life the way I want to. I can sense the same happening to the Jewish people. They continued oppression being taken out of their land, the temple being destroyed and being rebuilt. And, you know, just time and again, where is he? Where's the promise? The point is this. God's word gives hope. God kept his word with the arrival of hope. God kept his word with the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. He's keeping his word with the hope of transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. He will keep his word with the hope of eternal life through Christ. That's what faith is. 
It's the confidence that we have in the Word of God. See, we, we have all history of God and the future of God. What He promises will happen. So we can look back on our lives and we can see the hand of God. We can see the fulfillment of God's promises in us. We can see that he's changing us because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We can see that we have peace that's beyond all understanding because of his presence in our lives. Even when we do not understand, we can cling to the hope that he has given us because his promise is true and it will be fulfilled. may not be in our time and the way we think, but it is confident that it will come to pass. Hope was promised. Hope arrived. Now listen, and hope is extended. The invitation is for you and me. Do you believe? Do you have faith in the word of God? Do you understand what he's offering you? That you can have hope for eternity? Do you understand what he has done that you might have that hope? Yes, he was born. But he was born to die. He was born to be your sacrifice, to pay your sins. That you might have eternal life. The hope that is offered us, that's good news of great joy. That's for all people. There's no one here without excuse. No one listening without excuse. You can't say, well, God just does not know all that I've done. Yes, he does. Well, I don't, I've just never shown love for him. I've rejected him. I've rebelled against him. I've shaken my fist at him. I've cursed him. Yeah, he knows. You see, we were all enemies of God. Yet he offers hope to you that you could become his child, adopted into the family of God, that you would have hope, you'd have peace, you'd have forgiveness, you'd have love, unlike you've ever imagined. You have eternal life with him. You can have hope today in Christ simply by accepting the invitation, by, by giving your life to him and receiving the promise being born again. Now, if you look at your life and you realize, I, I know a lot about him. And, and I could teach and I can preach and I can sing. I can tell people about the goodness of God. I know a lot about him, but I cannot say I've been born again. I cannot say that I've died to my flesh. I cannot say that I've been resurrected in Christ. I cannot say that I've been covered in the righteousness of God. I cannot say that my life is changed because of this hope. And if that's you this morning, that's where you start. God, I hear your invitation. I understand that it only comes through Jesus Christ. I receive the gift that you have offered me. And I give you my life. He's not going to turn your arm behind you. He's not going to wrestle you to the ground. It's an invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest.
Now, if you have experienced this hope of God, maybe this morning is the time to be thankful for that hope. Often we take for granted what God has given it, but to give thanks today, live out God's word. Speak of God's faithfulness every opportunity you speak. Share the hope that you have. We're told to be prepared to share the hope. Man, he's done everything and given us a message. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. This is a season of hope. I pray that you're not only mindful of that hope, but you're sharing it with others. We're going to have an invitation right now. I'm going to ask Ryan and Mike to come up. And the invitation is simply this. If you do not know the hope of Christ, know it today. Just come up and say, I need Jesus. I hear what he's offering and I need it in my life. I know a lot about him, but I've not experienced the change that he's offered. And I want it today. Maybe you just want to come and give thanks to the Lord. Just kneel before him humbly. Thank him for who he is and what he's done for you. You've benefited from his sacrifice. Make a commitment to share the goodness of God, the hope that he offers, so that the world that is without hope can know hope through him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Lord, as we read your word, we see your faithfulness. Lord, it causes our faith to increase. Knowing that if you've said it, it's going to happen. Lord, your promises will ring true. They will come to pass. By the power of your word alone. I pray that we have experienced that. And that we will experience your hope today. We give you this time as we respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.